You're listening to Why Always Us, your weekly look into Manchester City from The Athletic. It should have been the final game of the season this weekend, so today's show, we're going to look back over some of City's most memorable last days. I'm David Mooney, and always good for keeping the back four marshalled when you're defending a tight lead. It's Sam Lee. Hello. And never to be found holding the ball by the corner flag when your side needs another goal, still to avoid relegation, it's Jack Pitbrook. Hi, Dave. Hi, Jack. If you're missing the football at the moment and you'd like some more in-depth features and ad-free podcasts, then you can get a 90-day free trial on The Athletic. Just use the promo code MANCITYPOD. What can we get from you two guys on The Athletic at the moment? Sam, what have you been up to? Um, interviewing QPR players. I'm sure former QPR players, I'm sure you could probably guess why. Uh, I, is, is there a final day of the season thing to be going on here? <laughs> uh, yeah, there is actually. It's good time to mention it. Um, but yeah, I don't know, like... I know we're thinking ahead to two years, and God knows how the media industry is going to look in two years, but I'm dreading having to write the 10-year anniversary article of the Aguero goal because there's nothing left to say. There is nothing left to say. Um, but obviously, there's so many City players have talked about it and given their versions, but I've, probably the QBR players have as well. But I'm trying to get as many of them into one place and, and tell it that way. So that's what I've mainly been doing at the moment. Lovely stuff. Uh, you can get all that plus much more with United Day free trial from theathletic.com forward slash Pod. Uh, now, before we begin, I'd just like to start with a disclaimer, because there is one final day of the season that tops the list of the best ever final days of the season for City. Sam's mentioned it already. Uh, Sergio Aguero's winner against QPR in 2012 is probably the best ever finish to a Premier League season, maybe even to a football season ever. Um, we're not going to talk about that on today's show, because we did a, a show on it very recently. Uh, so if you, when you finish today's show, go and have a listen uh, back to our, our previous episode on that 93-20 goal. Uh, you can go and find it on the uh, Why Always Us feed. Um, Sam, I'm going to start with my, one of my favourite days of the season. I was watching, uh, I don't know if you saw the match of the day, uh, or match of their day on Saturday night, where they, they showed the, the Aguero goal and the Aguero game. The other year they showed was the, the madness of the relegation in 2004-05. And it only occurred to me that while West Brom and Norwich and Crystal Palace and everyone else it was that was battling to stay up, I was at the Etihad watching David James go up front. Yeah, um, I've, yeah I've obviously I've written about this as well because it's one of those things I think everyone kind of knows about but you know it's 15 years ago now which is mad but you know about it and go well that was silly wasn't it um but then yeah I had a little look into it and speaking to the people I did you know speaking to David James himself spoke to Nicky Weaver who came on uh spoke to Steve McLaren who's a Middlesbrough manager a colleague spoke to Deriva the Middlesbrough defender that David James just clattered into <laughs> at least twice and then I sent I sent David James afterwards the message to Reva had sent, and he was laughing about that because to be fair, David James was really sound. He was he was really good about it. We had a good chat. You know, he was he was laughing about how ridiculous it was. He, he, he said, "There's a lot of contradictory stuff about this." Um, you know, people say, "Oh, they knew about it before." I spoke to John Macken, who's like clearly still pissed off about it because um, obviously he was the striker on the bench. Um, but you know, he said, "Oh yeah, we knew before the game." And Nicky Weaver was like, "Oh yeah, David James knew about it, and Stuart Pearce knew, knew about it, but they were basically the only people." But James said he only knew at half time, and if he had known before, he would have at least done some training beforehand. But he was like, Stuart Pearce didn't even tell him what he wanted him to do. You know, he didn't even, you know, he didn't tell him what kind of role he wanted him to play up front. So James just had to kind of get on with it, and, and yeah, just be was, the battering ram. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I mean, and and again, to be fair to James, he, he was great at telling the story and. He said, you know, the, the YouTube highlights aren't very complimentary towards him. But it was so funny because he'd get the ball and, you know, have a couple of nice touches. But then, well, in one case, nice touches. In the second case, he tried for a volley and kind of hit it into the ground. And <laughs> then he flew into the tackle. And it was just, as he said himself, the referee probably would have sent him off if he was an outfield player because he was just so reckless. And 
chaotic, really. James James was at the back post for that cross when um, I can't remember who handled it, but uh, when the Middlesbrough defender handled it, it was it was aimed at James. Yeah, it was it was aimed at James. But and like I actually said that to him, I was like, "Look, you were making the run to the back post." He was like, "Yeah, I was, I was there. I was going to score." But fine now for that, it was aimed at him. But I mean, it could have been aimed at me. But it could have been aimed at John McEnroe. It could have been aimed at pushing up any anybody else on the pitch who knew what they were doing. And fine, he made the right run, but. Uh, Regardless, that ball would have been put into the box. But the other, it's the other ones, so the, turn, the touches on the edge of the box or the shots on the edge of the box and that kind of stuff. You know, another player could have done that role so much better. And yeah, I mean, as Macken was telling me and as other people were telling me, you know, a lot of fans were pissed off about it. And, you know, that's kind of been made obvious in the comments as well. So I'm, if, I feel like it was a really worthwhile event to go back and have a look at. But obviously, obviously you two as fans, or especially as young fans as well, you think, what the hell were you thinking? What, what, were, you, what were your thoughts, Jack? I was surprised. I think looking back, it's quite embarrassing. Uh, it's just it's embarrassing to have to do that. I think. Uh, I also, but I also think that if if it had worked, Pierce certainly would have been hailed as a genius. Even if even if James going up front wasn't necessarily the cause of it working, people just would have put would have put two and two together. They would have said, "Look, he tried this amazing thing, and then he got the outcome that he wanted." And you know, maybe the connection between the two things is slightly hazy, but. It's uh, you know th- that's kind of how it works, isn't it? If, if man, like we attribute the outcomes we see on football pitch to obvious decisions we've seen a manager make, regardless of how much of a causal link there actually is. Um, so yeah, it would he would have been held as a genius. He might still be manager now. Imagine. Oh that. God. <laughs> yeah, to be honest with you, though, I mean, Jack, you say you say looking back, it's embarrassing. I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm embarrassed by it. I'm, I, it's one of those things that it's one of those weird things that City do that I'm actually strangely proud of. Wow. Uh, I just think, like, you know, it's, it's just ridiculous. It, it just still strikes me as being completely ridiculous. And when I see it back, and you know, read Sam's piece and everything, I still think, what on earth were they doing? Like, it's just. It just it makes a farce of the whole game, and I, I generally don't go in for this kind of like uh, people who get up on a high horse about respect and handshakes and fair play and uh, all that stuff. It kind of makes my skin crawl. All that all that kind of narrative, but in this instance, I do think it is incredibly disrespectful to do this to the game and to your own team and to the opposition. It's just a farce. Was was there a point, Jack? Where we you in the stadium that day? I, I can't remember if you said. No, 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 I wasn't. So you, you didn't get that moment. I, I was I, I was sat in the north stand, and I, there was this moment where Nicky Weaver was was on the touchline, and I was thinking, oh, James must be injured. And then there's this this glorious moment of of the revelation when you see the kit man pull out an outfield shirt with one James on the back, and you and it's just like the penny drops about what's about to happen. Um, and then, I, I mean, on top of all of that as well, City were playing in their away kit for the, the following season as a promotional tool. Oh, yeah, yeah. That does, like, that does add an extra layer of um, just, like, jokiness to the whole thing. And, look, I'm sure being in the stadium at that point and seeing the James 1 outfield kit unveil, unveiled would have been amazing. It sounds like it kind of has, like, a slight, like, WWE feel to it, doesn't it? It's like <laughs> you, David James... You know, you see Weaver coming on, and you would expect James to come off, and then it's like David James is—is is that David James's music? And David James is still on, but in a new role. <laughs> it does have that. It does have. It does have that kind of like wrestling feel, like people. You know, when a character like changes his role or does something surprising, and everybody in the stadium is like shocked by this amazing outcome that we've never seen before. And yet, in this case, unlike a lot of stuff in football, it is unprecedented. Like it just isn't something that we ever see. 
Yeah, I've, I've been I've been trying to come up with a link as well. I, I, I've not got enough examples of it for City, but I was trying to think of goalkeepers outfield um, and uh, outfield players in goal because obviously there was Kyle Walker recently and uh, Niall Quinn famously went in goal. Uh, but Martin Margitson played out a goal once as well. But there's just not quite enough in there to get a, a, a proper link between the lot. Um, one other, I'm going to move on to a, another final day of the season now. Uh, Jack, this, this is probably more one for you because uh, this is a bit before Sam's time covering City. Um, uh, City went up at Blackburn in, in May 2000. It was the second promotion on the spin, um, but it was an absolutely extraordinary game. Yeah, so City got absolutely battered in the first half and Blackburn should have been miles, miles clear. I think Blackburn hit the, hit the woodwork something like four times. It was four times. They, they, there was yeah. one. I mean, the one incident that stands out to me was Ashley Ward on the corner of the box. He got the ball, bent it around Nicky Weaver, who was just beaten all ends up. He left standing and he turned, watched the ball hit the inside of the post and it just dropped straight back into his hands. And at that point, you just think, we can't lose this. <laughs> yeah, and of course, it's most famous, it's famous for lots of reasons, but there were... Ewood Park must have been like half full of City fans and there were t- tens of thousands of City fans on the the hills outside the ground watching. So it felt like almost a home game away from home. Uh, and of course, City absolutely ran through Blackburn in the second half, 1-4-1, sealed promotion back to the Premier League for the first time since 1996. And it really like, so I've been, because I've been doing some stuff in the 98-99 season recently, and I've been speaking to a few of the players, uh, Weaver, Dickov, Morrison, and they all, they all spoke about the Blackburn game very warmly. And a lot of them said things along the lines of, like because of Gillingham, which was this, you know, the biggest event in or one of the biggest moments in the club's history. Because Gillingham came a year before, Gillingham is like the iconic, definitive moment for that era of Manchester City, and it attracts. It's like a big magnet which attracts all this attention and focus, and everybody thinks about it all the time and talks about it all the time. And because of that, Blackburn, in comparison, is a smaller event. But, like, in itself, Blackburn deserves to be a huge event because it was this amazing, unlikely win which got City back into the Premier League, having, you know, after a long spell out of the top flight, which capped this incredible season of, like, back-to-back promotions, uh, which was a, a huge feat by Joe Royal and all the players because, no, you know, you wouldn't have expected City to get promoted straight back to the Premier League after getting promoted out of what was then the second division. So, Black. And I almost feel like Blackburn, as a as a historical event, is kind of dwarfed by Gillingham. But I think that's maybe slightly unfair on Blackburn because Blackburn deserves in itself to be a huge moment. So Sam, one of the one of the interesting things that that Jack picked up on there as well was uh, was just the sheer volume of City fans at the game as well, and, and not even at the game with a ticket, all the ones watching from the outside. Yeah, well, this is one of those kind of City one hundred and one things that I had to look up on you know the first day in the office, like. What, why is everyone claiming they were at York away, and why is everyone claiming they were at Blackburn? <laughs> so, so I wasn't either, that was, by the way. Oh yeah, well that's oh, that's the first time I think I've heard anyone admit that. Um, <laughs> but no, um, yeah. So it, it was one of those things where you kind of you, you look into it, and you know Jack makes a really good point. Actually, you know that I think it's probably because of the way the story's gone as well. You know, especially in this, everyone's looking through life through the lens of the Last Dance at the moment. You know, it just looks like this inevitable arc where it's like, oh yeah. Promotion from, you know, the Gillingham game, the Blackburn game, yeah. And then now City are what they are. It kind of, especially now, it kind of feels inevitable that, you know, they would have just got back into the Premier League. But, yeah, Jack's right. Because of the remarkable events surrounding that, you've then got this this game that is kind of, yeah, I suppose, relegated, ironically. 
because you've got the Aguero moment, which is the absolute pinnacle, and then you've got Gillingham beneath that, and then it kind of everything else is kind of just merely good. And I include, you know, the hundred points and you know ninety eight points last season, and even these amazing things are kind of not held not held in such high esteem because those two moments are incredible. And yeah, you know, two thousand at Blackburn um, definitely deserves to be up there, and especially because of the the thing that makes these things so special is the human memories of it. And going going to a an away game like that, and I've you know I, my thinking about the final day, I remember the nerves I had uh, to kind of gate crash this with a Man United anecdote. Going to Wigan in two thousand and nine, I remember being so nervous getting the ticket in the Wigan end, which is just a stupid way to watch football. You know, it's barely worth. You can say you were in the stadium to see it, but it's not. It's not the same. It's a kind of like, you know, games behind closed doors, actually. It's a stupid way to watch football. But you're so nervous on that final day. But you've got that human story of all the City fans going to Blackburn and getting a glimpse of the pitch however they could. And I can see why, obviously, that is such a huge memory. But because it's not the two behemoth memories that people have got about City in the last 20 years, then it doesn't it doesn't quite make the grade. But, it, yeah, it is... It is unreal, and that's why, like I say, you always hear about Blackburn away every now and again, and you just think, yeah, that must have been Sunday. That said, for those who were in the home end that day, they weren't afraid to show it because, of, because first off, there was that many of them in the home end, and second off, they were doing congas with about 10 minutes to go, so it was uh, it was just a party atmosphere all over. Um, Jack, Sam mentioned the, uh, the the 100-point season there, the, uh, the the game at Southampton on the final day in, in May 2018. Um, Gaz Warrington's been in touch on Twitter to say, uh, I know it's obvious in a way, but uh, I get the same goosebumps watching when Jesus scored at Southampton than I do uh, for the Aguero moment. I still watch it now thinking it's missing. The away end went mad. There was relief and joy of watching a totally weird and different kind of normal. It, it just kind of sums up how City were... Like, like I, I don't... I, I couldn't really put into words what I felt about that game because I don't remember anything but that goal. It was just, just a disaster of a game and then one moment of class. Yeah, so I covered that game for the Independent and I don't remember anything about it apart from the goal. No. Um, I don't... Ugh, it's weird. Yeah, literally nothing stands out. Um, but I... One thing I do remember is, yeah, so the goal was obviously fantastic. Brilliant ball by De Bruyne, a great finish by Jesus. And the bench went wild. They went absolutely, I've never seen them celebrate like that. And I think that kind of, I mean, Sam will know more about this than me, but I think I got a sense that, like, they never, <clears throat> they never really got to celebrate something like that in the weeks before then, because they won the league by United losing to West Brom. The, the, the you know, they were already out of Europe. The former tailed off a little bit. Uh, what was going to be this big, like, defining moment, which was hoping to win the title against United at home, turned into a disaster because they lost 3-2. So really that, um, you know... Win- and even winning- the day of the trophy presentation, it was a nil-nil with Huddersfield, wasn't it? Yeah. So win- winning, like, reaching that historic target of 100 points, which they'd been desperate to do, in the manner they did it, give- did give them a kind of climactic moment, which until then they'd kind of missed... So I think that that kind of explains why. And also just the fact of being the history books, like I know Pep likes to pretend that he doesn't care about this sort of thing, but obviously breaking that historic record of 100 points meant a lot to them. And you could see that from how they charged around when the goal went in. If City hadn't have won that day, it would have been fine. People would have said, like if it had been 0-0, it would have been again 98 points. And people would have said, oh, 98 points, two seasons in a row. That's amazing. They still would have beaten all of these records, you know, 
so many so many wins at home so many wins away so many goals so you know the streak of wins it still would have been one of the most well you know as close as you can get to a perfect season obviously the Arsenal unbeatables is always there but as close as you can get to the most impressive season but it Having said all that, it still feels a bit like, I think a lot of fans were thinking this as well at the time, if City didn't win that game, it would have been a disappointment. It would have been a, a, like just taking the tiniest, tiniest layer off the achievement of that season because you go into it thinking, right, we win this, 100 points, and it's just perfect. And you've got the Amazon documentary as well. You know, that is, it was like a whole fairy tale. Talk about WWE, but it was like they designed that season to look good on, on Amazon. It was, it was ridiculous yeah. how it panned out. And obviously you get towards 60 minutes, 70 minutes, and nothing's happening. And I seem to remember this feeling, perhaps in me as well, from a journalistic point of view, and you know how to describe this season, but definitely from the fans, I'm sure, of just thinking, they're not going to do it, and it'll be a bit of a shame. You know, like I say, not disappointed. It wouldn't have taken anything huge away from the season, but it would have been a shame not to get that 100 points just to put the absolute cap on it. In some ways, 100 just feels better even than 102-point season. <laughs> I was going to say this. It's it's strange, isn't it? Um, Sam Fisher says on Twitter as well, that whole day I didn't realise how much I wanted that 100 points until Jesus scored and I was three rows in front. Absolute carnage. Jack, I'm going to turn to the last game at Main Road, uh, May 2003. Uh, in, a, in a kind of typical City sense, they lost 1-0 to Southampton. Yeah, that's what people mean by typical City, isn't it? This is the kind of pre-Aguero era like an anti-climax can be dramatic or an anti-climax can be climactic i suppose like it can be perfectly appropriate to to the occasion i i didn't go to this game my dad went um i kind of regret not going it would have been really cool to go um because i still think about it a lot you must have been there you must have you probably have better memories than i do then yeah it was it was a really um it was a strange atmosphere because I, I I remember like even in the years after I was quite excited I was I, I I didn't have any real attachment to or I didn't feel like I was losing much of that attachment to Main Road on the day but in the years afterwards I've I've really missed Main Road and I can't really explain why that is it's not a it, you know it wasn't a particularly nice looking stadium it wasn't a, a particularly comfortable stadium compared to to what what City are playing in now. But it had, there was something about it, something about the hodgepodge nature of it where, you know, four stands that don't match and, you know, a bit that had been renovated and a bit that hadn't. Seats that were slightly different colours in different places. You know, restricted views. We don't get restricted views anymore, but like little things like that. Um, I just, I, I remember in the years afterwards really missing going to Main Road. And I wonder if it was because City never really made the City of Manchester Stadium their home until kind of like a few years ago. And it, it didn't really feel like the same sort of thing. I always feel with, feel with Main Road that I, you know, obviously, so I, I, my first game there was in 1994. And that means and my last game there would have been when I was, what, 14? I kind of wish that I'd been there when I was older because like going to a game when you're older is a different experience. Like going going to a game when you go with mates and you, you go for a few beers is just different to when you go to a game with your dad and your and your brother. And I do kind of wish that I sorry, this is like totally irrelevant to the podcast, but just how I feel. <laughs> uh, uh I kind of wish that I'd been there like in my late teens or early twenties and had, you know, what um and been able to enjoy the kind of like uh this kind of edge of the atmosphere. A bit more than than when I was young, and it was like, you know, the the ground that I'd been to the most, and therefore I kind of 
assumed that all football was really like this. And I guess I, it wasn't really until after City moved that you kind of realised in retrospect, oh, actually, all football isn't really like this anymore. I can relate to that because I was about the same age leaving leaving Main Road. And it was, I mean, that, that 1-0 defeat to Southampton on, on the last day, it was it almost, in a strange way, it didn't matter what the result was. It didn't, no, I don't think anybody really... It'd have been nice for City to win, but I don't think anybody was was really that cut up about the fact that City had lost the game. They were safely into Europe for the next season via the Fair Play League. They, you know, they'd had a top half Premier League finish. They, they, it felt like stability was back at the club again, and they were moving forward. Um, it's just a shame that it, it, it kind of finished with a defeat, and then that awful, awful string of performances in the centre circle from from various local bands. The one thing I can compare it to is I went to the last game at Upton Park and the last game at White Hart Lane. And the last game at the last game at White Hart Lane was really cool, and they had you know they had all these legendary players on the pitch and music and stuff, and it was really nicely done, I thought. Whereas the last game at Upton Park was just like hilariously tacky, with they had like London buses driving, sorry, like black London cabs driving around on the pitch, and it was all someone on Twitter called it Cockney Geddon. <laughs> it was all very very silly, but I would actually I feel like I need to go back and watch the kind of last day at Main Road. Uh, footage to see what it was, you know, how it would stack up against last day at White Hart Lane and last day at Upton Park. Sam, there's there's a game that that lives on in infamy for for the final day of the season for for quite a lot of City fans. Um, again, we're talking about Middlesbrough. We're going away this time, May two thousand and eight, and it's City's biggest ever Premier League defeat. Uh, they lost eight one. So obviously that season started really well, didn't it? And City beat United in the Derby, and it was Giovanni, and there was Elano. Um... Going really twice, well. mate. City beat United twice in the derby. Uh, yeah, correct. <laughs> um, yeah, so but then so it was like, oh god, this you know this, you know City might City might be doing something. I remember being at Old Trafford. I can't remember who it was. I got a feeling it might have been Hull or something like that. And just they read out that score at the end, and I remember thinking, oh, well, that's City. That's it. They don't have to worry about City again. City knew going into that game they would qualify for Europe uh, via the Fair Play League again. Yeah, because England had been given the fair play place and City were top of the teams that hadn't already qualified. So all they had to do was get through that 90 minutes of of, uh, football without any stupid, you know, with no red cards, no yellow cards, like no, like don't give the fouls away, anything like that. Um, And within 15 minutes, Richard Dunn had been sent off and they conceded a penalty and then all all hell broke loose. (laughs) It was just, just, it was honestly, it was was like watching a team try and self-destruct as best they could. And Jack, I don't know if you've been back and watched the goals, but it's like, it's like Middlesbrough's own goal of the season compilation. It's ridiculous. Yeah, the, the goals are really good. It was like a sort of spectacularly hilarious thing to happen I think and I, I think if you read and also Alano's goal was really good and it had and it prompted great like ironic celebrations or rather from the from the city away end there um, I've got a mate who was there and he said it was hilariously fun um, at the game because they went absolutely wild when Alano scored I think also it was like everybody knew that Sven was getting sacked that that was going to be his last game and they you know the there were big question marks over the, the direction of the club because Taktan Shinawatra was still in charge, of course, I think. Um, and he, by that point, I think he was, I need to be slightly careful what I say here, but he was, um, you know, there were big question marks hanging over his, his stewardship of the club at that point. <laughs> uh, and so nobody, you know, the manager was going, nobody knew what was going on with the ownership. This was long before Abu Dhabi was even talked of. Uh, this was before, you know, before Mark Hughes, before Gary Kirk, I think, um, and it was just chaos. Like the whole thing was absolutely chaotic, and nobody, you know, imagine if you were, a, and you know, the players, 
players react to that. Players take their cues from their environment. And it was like, imagine being at school and then, like, suddenly none of the teachers are there or all the teachers are going and there's no authority. Then, like, you are going to piss around, really. And that's kind of what happens. I think I've read some interviews with City players who are there who played in the game and they said that the attitude in the dressing room before and after and during the game was just like, well, I don't care. Like, you know, we're all getting set, you know, the manager's going, who knows what's going to happen to the club? Who knows if I'll be here next season? Doesn't matter to me. Which, of course, like in one sense is really bad because you want players playing for City to actually try hard. But on the other hand, it's kind of understandable and also quite funny. (laughs) I tell you what, I wasn't laughing on the day. I can look back and laugh about it now, though. (laughs) Um, I'm going to give you the opportunity, Sam, to to actually uh, contribute to to a positive one for City because last season was... um, Yeah, you're doing my reputation no good here. Yeah, I I just, I thought halfway through that, I've only asked you about the negative last days and just kind of giving the opportunity to to dive in. Uh, But last season, uh, City finished what I think was the tensest end to a season that I've ever experienced with that win at Brighton I can't remember the opening stages actually I think it was kind of you know the normal what you'd expect City you know taking the games to them but not creating an awful lot of chances and obviously conceding from a corner I seem to remember but then as soon as they scored it was like yeah okay this is it and the interesting thing for this game was going back to the company goal beforehand um, against Leicester apparently Guardiola at that point was like okay we're gonna win it now because obviously you talk about how tense it was and it was it's probably worth discussing a few of these games because the derby was brutal, wasn't it? The, the derby at Old Trafford was like, you know, from the vibe I was getting from City fans, was it can't end. It can't end with United winning, you know, and, and giving Liverpool the title and costing City the title. That would have been awful. Burnley was probably the most nerve-wracking game of the whole running. All of these games, and literally every single one of these games, because because a lot of them were away, I wasn't at. I, I just remember watching them on TV and it felt like my like my bones were trying to get out of my skin that's that's the only way I can describe it it just just it just I couldn't sit still yeah I, I can imagine I can I can really imagine and because obviously the whole the whole subtext of this as well and it wasn't just and it wasn't just because Liverpool kept winning but it was just the way they kept doing it and that was the thing about the Leicester game why it was so nervy in the stadium because obviously it was a Monday night but it was because Liverpool had been up to Newcastle and for so long it looked like okay finally Liverpool are going to drop points now and it'll be okay and then they scored late and it was kind of you know somewhat dodgy with a free kick and whether it was right or whether it was wrong there was just this vibe of they're so lucky with these wins obviously you know they might, it might have been 10% luck or 20% luck or 5% whatever but there was just this vibe around of they're so lucky with these wins and obviously that's why it was all so tense and then yeah to get to the the last game speaking about going into last games nervous and you know I got the I remember getting the train over from to Wigan for that game in 2009 I remember driving down um you know, I wasn't particularly keen on Liverpool winning the league. It wouldn't have been a disaster for me. I'm not going to say it's the same as if City had lost the league on the last game. It would have been the same emotional effect as, you know, City fans. But I wasn't particularly keen on City giving it up, you know, professionally on the on the last day. Um, I drove down to Brighton in the morning. So that was like a four-hour drive. And just all the way down there, just think, just like trying to do anything but think about what you're going to go and do. You know, I didn't want to listen to Five Live. I didn't want to listen to the build-up for the last day. I'd kind of just, I'd kind of just gone a bit mad. Like, I don't want to think about anything but football. Um, I know I had to drive straight back to Manchester that night anyway, so it was just kind of this whole big daunting day. And I was like, I just don't want, I just don't want anything bad to happen on this day. I want to go down there. I want City to win, and life will carry on. And <laughs> I can only imagine the nerves for an actual City fan because. Just the thought of losing to Liverpool on that last day would have been unspeakable. But obviously, as the second half went on in particular, like 
the, I just I can only imagine just the sweetness because on the one hand you've got the goals we talked about earlier and I know I've gone mad and I've talked about this for ages but the Jesus goal that's a proper release isn't it that's last minute that's amazing and I've seen obviously mates Instagram stories over the last few days because it was you know it was the year anniversary in the last few days and just just the the great day that everybody had and you, when you can crack open the beers if you're at home or metaphorically or whatever with 20 minutes to go that must be just as incredibly satisfying as it is to to get an Aguero moment in in, a, in some way Absolutely, absolutely. I'm going to run through some uh, some tweets just before we, we go through some other final uh, final days of the season. Um, MCRABC says, The 96 relegation against Liverpool was thoroughly depressing as a kid. The typical City stuff, holding the ball in the corner for a draw. Liverpool didn't really look like they wanted a result either. Some great final days since then, though. Uh, Bobby Cash throws forward to the 2008-9 campaign. He says, The eruption when Glauber Bertie came on. Madness. I honestly don't remember that. Um Max Kirsch says 2016-17 was a good one. Maybe Watford were on the beach, but we were phenomenal. And I do think a sneak preview was given for what was to come over the next two seasons. That was fantastic. Um, that one. Yeah, I mean, I, I the, just some of those uh, there, Sam, as well. The, like the, the, that five-nil win at Watford. Um, that was that was like party time as well. Yeah, it was because obviously there was no there was no FA Cup final to look forward to, and it was kind of you know if you think about the kind of doom and gloom around. January time in particular, I remember when City had lost to Everton, and that was—I think that was when Guardiola. And this is obviously important for for journalists. It's like it's like every game City don't win. If it's like this situation in the first season or the one we were having now, it's is the title gone now, Pep? And it's like that was the day he was like, yeah, right, probably. And from that point, and then Monaco as well going out, and there was so much of oh, I don't know if he can play his football over here, or I don't know if this is going to work, kind of stuff. But then the last few months. You know they they were started to get it together quite well and yeah that Watford game okay you know Watford or Watford and if you were going to have one one team to toss it off on the final game of the season you'd probably have to say Watford unfortunately but the way City just took them apart it was like okay there, there's definitely you know, there's definitely something going on here from a coaching point of view they are this isn't just a team of good players you know passing the ball to each other and seeing what happens. There's there's definitely something going on here and there has been for well, there has been all season, to be honest, if if you'd been paying attention. Jack, um the the mention of the ninety six relegation and holding the ball by the corner flag must bring you out in a cold sweat. It's as close as you can get to relegating yourself on purpose or relegating yourself by mistake. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not I mean, to relegate yourself because of a like a mental error rather than just losing at football is very, very funny. Um and I think it's very much part of the kind of certainly pre-Abu Dhabi city kind of mythos. That yeah, we've done very well to get this far. Sorry, David. We've done very well to get this far without mentioning typical city, haven't we? But and it's it's like a, it's a bit of it almost feels like it's a bit of a trope now. But it is obviously genuinely a thing. And Neda Manua was explaining this to me in the context of you know the last game against QPR and when QPR went two one up. So it's obviously it's a thing. But I, I feel like I'm reluctant to mention it because it's just like. It gets mentioned so often, but that, I mean, if we're going to mention it for any game, it's, it's that, isn't it? Like that, It's that wasting time to safely go down. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like it's, that is, if you want it, if you wanted a moment, and again, when you explain the context there, all the other teams drew and you could have caught any one of them. That is, if you, if you wanted to boil down typical city, it would have to be that. It's that in a nutshell. Um, and no, uh, no, Quinn was on Sky last week talking about it, but he said, and I he need ran to out of the tunnel. This. Yeah, well, he ran down the touchline. He was saying he ran down the touchline to say, you need to score. But obviously everyone on the bench was like, no, no, we're fine. But he said that was his, the last thing he did as a City player, presumably, because he was so pissed off. Obviously going down is one thing, but he must have been so pissed off. He just thought, I can't play for these guys anymore. 
I think he was sold that summer, actually. I can't, yeah, I can't exactly. remember, That's I can't what remember exactly. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember exactly. The vibe when, I got was that they sold him, but why they couldn't hold a grudge against him because he was right. You know, he he, he was right <laughs> to run down the touchline. And, you know, if, if imagine they'd scored, you know, he, he would have been to been the, the hero of the day, wouldn't he? Yeah. For that, yeah, exactly. You know, that would have been hailed as a genius territory. None of this Stuart Pearce up front business. Well, speaking of Stuart Pearce, the final, final last day of the season to talk about is uh, May 2002, Jack. Um, City, uh, uh, they'd absolutely blitzed Division 1. They'd come back up to the Premier League under Kevin Keegan. Um, Stuart Pearce was on 99 career goals and City were given a, let's say, generous penalty in the 90th minute of his uh, of the last day of, uh, of the season. On the last game of Pearce's career, he could have made it uh, 100 goals. He was facing Dave Besant and missed. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I remember you you were saying earlier that it it looks as if it was a, a penalty won almost on purpose by Ali Benabia, so it was all set up for him. I guess it's it, it's good because it was such you know it's obviously a positive conclude conclusion to what had been a fantastic season for City in which they played you know the best football really I think that season as they had for a generation or certainly for a good sort of ten, twelve, fifteen years. Um, so in in many ways it was perfect, but it wasn't quite perfect. It's a bit like I don't know if you can fully compare it to Fowler's missed penalty a few years later, or slightly you know slightly similar things. But it was um, yeah a, a good day, but not quite a perfect day. I still wonder if he missed that on purpose. You know, um, Stuart Pearce, man of integrity, doesn't doesn't want to score his final goal, his hundredth goal in uh, in in circumstances where it looked a bit of a dodgy penalty and where Dave Besant said which way he was going to dive. I always wonder. Interesting. Obviously, it doesn't matter. Like normally, if Stuart Pearce had scored his hundredth goal, that would have been great. And it's like our soft penalty. Nobody's really bothered, especially like from a City fan's point of view. But yeah, it's in- it's interesting actually that theory that he missed it on purpose. I mean, you wouldn't be surprised. Going back to two thousand and five, you know, the kit man Chappie told me you know he he had a feeling that Stuart Pearce wanted to put David James or another goalkeeper up front loads of times, but his assistant had talked him out of it. <laughs> and then he did it. He actually did it again when he was under 21s manager with England. I want to give a shout out to Edward Hayes uh, on Twitter as well because uh, he he's we asked for for uh, best final days and he's managed to give us a list of things that mostly didn't happen on the final day of the season. Okay. Um, so uh, Shinawatra driving on the pitch, I think, was a couple of games before the end of the season. Uh, missing the top four to to Crouch and, and Redknapp against Tottenham that was oh, yeah. uh, second second last game of the season. Uh, the weirdness after the Wigan Cup final and Mancini sacking, um, uh, followed by Brian Kidd and, and Jack. Well, against Norwich, uh, that was the last game of the season. Yeah. Uh, Pellegrini's last home game, poor result, bad send off. Uh, that was again not la- not the last game of the season. Zabaleta's goodbye wasn't either. Uh, neither was Company's goal, but David James up front that was. Mm-hmm. 